We are actually concluding our uh, series on Lent this morning. Uh, this has been a series that we've uh, undergone for the last five weeks, really just in, in an attitude and posture of reflection and preparation for what God is, is desiring to say to our hearts, to do in our lives this week as we anticipate this incredible weekend where death was defeated and Resurrection Sunday, life was victorious. And uh, that is for your life and for mine. Um, so we are excited about what is, God has in store for us with that. Um, th- today, the I don't know if you guys watch TV very much. I like to watch shows. Gretchen and I, it's like a time-honored tradition. We're semi- semi-professional movie watchers and um, amateur, amateur you know, TV watchers. But maybe you're like me, you don't like the commercials, right? You get the, you know, the, the, the plus or you fast, through the, fast forward through the commercials. I like that, but there is one series of, of commercials that I actually do enjoy. Um, it's the Capital One commercials, right? You know, the what's in your wallet. I love the commercial, maybe you've seen it, where, you know, he's talking and he's like, it's, it's the most obvious decision in the history of decisions. And he's like, like this. And the girl's on the playground and she's like, you know, doing the old school choosing of the teams. And she's like, I'll take Barkley. He's like, yes, I told you I was going to get picked first. You know, it's Hall of Fame Charles Barkley, of course. You know. But this, this morning as we take this approach into Scripture, um, I've entitled this, this message, What's in Your Temple? Because we're going to take a, a, a look, a little bit different look at Palm Sunday and look at Jesus' entrances into the city and when he goes to the temple and what happens. Um, so I'm excited as we take that look. You know, I was uh, with Gretchen uh, this past week, and her mother-in-law, her mo- my mother-in-law, her mother, I just, I just made the whole family tree kind of weird. Um, her mother, my mother-in-law, we were celebrating her birthday. And Gretchen is a great gift giver, as, as many of you know. Um, but she had purchased a gift for her mom, and it was these little cool series of like, like three leather-bound journals. And, you know, they're Italian leather or whatever. And, and, and so she, she took this little wrapper off, and they set it on the table, and I grabbed it. And it says, Handmade in Italy. And then this is what it actually says. I found this actually somewhat amusing. It says, This product has been traditionally crafted, and any defect should be considered part of its artisan nature. And I thought, huh, so that's how it works. If it's jacked up, it's supposed to be that way. And I thought, what if we applied that to our lives? You know, you go to work and you kind of screw something up and you go to your boss and you're like, hey, it's just part of the deal. It's, you know, it's a defect. You just kind of have to, you know, take the good with the bad. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe your kids will enjoy using that, you know, when they take, take a test, you know, just bomb the test. Hey, you know, it's part of the defect, you know, you didn't. Or, if this message is really, really bad today, it's part of the defect. It's just, it's just what, what God wants for you. So. But I am grateful as we dive into the Scripture this morning. We, we want to conclude this, this series in Lent as we anticipate what God has for us this next Sunday. But we've, my prayer is that over the past five weeks, you've taken some time. You've been challenged maybe to slow down a little bit. Maybe press the pause button on your life and, and, and slow the rhythm of your life in order to be able to reflect on the importance 
of Jesus' journey to the cross. Because it's an important journey. You know, he, he had this incredible victory over death and the grave. But I think we oftentimes miss the impact it, it should have on our lives. You see, we, we often neglect the reality of, of how much we need a Savior. We just kind of go through life and, and life's great, and life's grand, and we pursue all these wonderful passions and things that we, we hope for. And we forget that we were born with a sin nature. We were born in separation from God. See, the truth is, in order to really step into new life in Christ, we have to understand the life from which we're being saved. We have to, we have to look at our lives and say, I was pursuing all these things and, and I, I hurt these people and there was all these destructive patterns and behaviors in my life. And then Jesus showed up. We have to consider our lives before Jesus took on the cross and the grave and gave us the hope of salvation. You know, I visited the eye doctor this uh, past week to get my eyes checked. It's one of my favorite things to do. Second only to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, anyways. Hey, this is just a total bunny trail. Have you ever had periodontal work done? Yeah, so I've got deep wisdom teeth pockets. Our daughter just got her wisdom teeth out, and that was fun to watch. Um, I've got w- deep wisdom teeth pockets, and they go in there and they scratch on the bone, and it feels like they're scratching your tailbone. It's not cool. That has nothing to do with the message, so I apologize. <laughs> but, but I went into the eye doctor this week, and, and uh, you know, I hate all the little tests they do, you know, they... I always thought you're not supposed to look into the light. Like, don't stare at the sun. It's not good for your eyes. It makes a lot of sense. But then they flash light in your eyes. It doesn't make any... They just, you know, and then there's the one where they, you look through the thing, they're like, okay, keep your eye open. And there's the puff of air, and you're just like, well, no. But thankfully, I didn't have to get my eyes dilated, because that's awesome. You leave, and they give you those jacked-up, weird little aviator glasses that kind of clip to your head. And everybody's like, oh, you got your eyes dialed. Congratulations. You're like, I can't see you. You're just a big blur. But I didn't have to leave with the weird glasses. And I've now been wearing reading glasses for quite a few years. They help me kind of concentrate on text and if I'm working on my computer. But the funny thing is when somebody gets a new prescription, gets new glasses or contacts, they're only helpful if the prescription is correct. Otherwise, you are left with a limited ability to see. And in the same way, if we're not viewing our lives through Jesus' finished work, and instead through our own hopes and dreams, then we'll lack the ability to see what God is doing in and through the plan that he has for your life and mine. So we've got to embrace God's desire and his plan for each of us. Today we're going to engage Jesus' journey into Jerusalem as depicted in the Gospel of Mark. And as we see throughout Scripture, the life and ministry of Jesus was anything but predictable. Every time you thought you knew exactly what Jesus was going to do, it was like, boom, he did something else. Oh, he's going to take these guys out? No, 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 he heals them. In fact, in the Gospel we see in the Bible 
is, is a gospel that takes the cultural priorities and desires that we all seem to pursue and, and desire, and they just flips it, flips it on its head. Because the gospel of Jesus is not the gospel of this world. The gospel of this world is pursue your dreams, pursue your passions, do everything you can, step on whoever you need to, get ahead. And that's not what we see in the life of Jesus. True to form, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was most certainly not what people had planned or expected. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 11 today. This is called the triumphal entry of Jesus. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, they'll be on the screen, or you can check out the YouVersion Bible app. This is what Mark says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it. We'll send it back here shortly. Then they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the, the perfect example of a loving Savior that we see in Jesus. We, we thank you for the ministry that he did, did in Scripture. And, and we thank you for the, the gift you gave us of, of relationship and life through the shed blood of your Son and his resurrection on the third day. God, I pray this week that we would slow down, that we would come to this place of understanding and embracing what you're desiring for our lives, for our families. And Lord, that you might begin to awaken our hearts to some of those areas that we have yet to surrender, yet to give up control of. And so today, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through your scripture and that you would change us from the inside. We thank you, Father, for the time we're able to, to be together and worship, and encouraging one another, and being blessed by your presence. I ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I always tend to wonder why the Bible depicts this passage of Scripture as the triumphal entry. Because it's interesting, over the next several days of what we often refer to in the church as Holy Week, Jesus will enter and leave Jerusalem four different times. And just in this, this scriptural account found in Mark. And each time he discovers something new about himself, he, and what's being asked of him, he, he seems to move a bit closer to his ultimate purpose and the reason that God has called him, and then he backs off. And he steps in, and then he steps out. He steps in, he's, it's, like, it's like double dutch. You know, should I go now? Should I go now? Should I? And I don't think Jesus was probably much of a jump roper, but he would enter the city and then he would leave. And it was not accidental, it was very intentional, his rhythm. 
And isn't that it, how it is with the most significant and profound experiences of our own lives? We often find ourselves seeing that God is working things out. We're, we're working in our lives trying to understand and make sense of, of what's happening. And we step in and then we step away only to step in again. Pursue God's desires and plans or we pursue ours and then we step back and we have to gain stock. And we can see throughout the New Testament that Jesus is going intentionally to the temple. It's no accident that when He enters the city, He goes to the temple. We see throughout His ministry, time spent in the temple. And following His death, resurrection, and subsequent ascent into heaven, He promises us that the presence of the Holy Spirit will be with us. That that presence will go with us. I don't think it's coincidental then that that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You yourself are the temple of God. That The presence of God rests in each and every one of us when we step into relationship with Him. So now the... The presence of God is no longer restricted to a a place or a space, but it goes with us. See, each of Jesus' visits to the city and the temple reveal important truths that may help us in the way we are called to live our lives and allow the Spirit of God to move in and through our lives. So what if that's how God desires we approach this week leading up to Good Friday and Easter? What if we took our cues from each of Jesus' four entries into the city and the questions they may set before us? Let's look at each of Jesus' visits individually and the realities they reveal about the condition of the temple. Because it's important when we begin to take stock of our own hearts. First time that Jesus goes into the city, the temple isn't open to receive him. Did you catch that when we, when we read the, the passage in, in Mark chapter 11? The temple wasn't open. And there are many times we spend time pursuing things in life based on our own hopes and dreams. We pursue this and we go after that. And we prioritize all these things. And as the Spirit of God begins to try and direct our steps, the temple of our hearts is already shut down and closed off. It's already full. It's overfilled with priorities and plans and, and, and thoughts and desires. And there's no room for the presence of God. Because we have too many distractions. We've already shut things down. And the first time we see Jesus enter the city, He goes to the temple. Directly there. Does the triumphal entry? Boom. Goes to the temple. And Mark 11.11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Our lives and days can fill up with so many things, some of which are great. not saying that all the priorities in life are bad. But too often, there's no room left to receive the things God is desiring to do in and through us. Scripture says today, Jesus entered the temple and when He looked around at everything, He left. 
I can remember seasons of my life that were so busy with the stuff of life that I had no room for the power and presence of God. There was, there was no room for God to do or say or invest anything because I was already filled up with all the wrong stuff. Perhaps you can relate. You, you come to the end of, of your week just grateful that you made it through only to realize that you didn't invite God into any part of that week. His presence was kind of a secondary or third to dairy. I don't know how that works. But it was an afterthought. And we come to that place of, of, of going through seasons of our life and we realize, man, God, I, I didn't really invite you into this time. So what do you see when you look around at everything in the temple of your life? What do you see when you look at the heart of your life, of where your priorities and where your, your investments are? What does it look like? What do you see there? And who is missing or excluded? Who have you not invited into relationship? Who has God placed in your path and you've not engaged them in a meaningful way because you're full? The temple's full. There's no space. What do you want or hope to see when you look at your heart and the way that God would desire to use your life? What are you, what are you afraid of seeing? What don't you want to look at? Those things that are in your heart, those things that are, exist in your life that shouldn't be there. See, this is an important inventory to take regularly. Because if we don't, we can go days and weeks and months and sometimes even years distant from God's plan and purpose on a path that is destructive for us and others and our family only to come back in desperation not knowing why or how we got to where we are. When we're striving to be true followers of Jesus and allowing ourselves to be God's temple where His presence resides, we should always be aware of our propensity to overfill. I don't know about you, but I overfill all the time. I overfill my life. I overfill my calendar. I overfill my schedule. I overfill my belly. That one's not good. But we overfill. We try and fit too much in, and then we're left exhausted. Worked a couple baseball games yesterday. I got home late, and I looked at Gretchen. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. I'm <laughs> really tired. Are my eyes crossed? Because, yeah. But we get to that place where we fill things up too much, and there's no space for God's presence. See, God's greatest desire is to arrive at the door of our hearts and to be welcomed in. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He desires relationship. He desires to be the presence that exists in your heart and in your life. Sometimes when Jesus shows up, there's no space. Things are closed down. There's no room. The second time that, that Jesus enters the the city, he goes to the temple, and the temple needs to be cleared. The temple needs to be cleaned out. 
There's stuff going on in the temple that shouldn't be happening. At times in life, we have to face the reality that over time, many of the wrong things creep into, take the space and priority of our lives. Sometimes we begin to allow the wrong things in. And all of a sudden, we're chasing things we never thought we'd be chasing. We're prioritizing things we never thought we'd be prioritizing. And we have destructive patterns that are beginning to take place in our lives. So this second time Jesus enters Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer? for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So here we go. Jesus comes into the city. He goes to the temple. There's some stuff going on there that shouldn't be going on. And it's really one of the only times we see in Scripture that Jesus kind of gets ticked off. You know? I think we all secretly kind of want to read Scripture like, like it's a movie and see Jesus show up on the scene when people are doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing and be like, all right, we're going to clear this place out. We're going to do it right now. I mean, come on. I'm not the only one who, you know, we always see the, the Jesus with the, the flowing white robe and the blue sash, and he's got the, the, the little lamb, you know, you know, kind of around his shoulders, and his flowing Jesus locks are flapping in the wind, and his perfectly groomed beard that probably has just been hit with beard oil. You don't always want to see that Jesus. Sometimes you want to see Jesus show up, you know, just boom! Zap that guy who cut you off in traffic or what? You know, I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm going to take your silence as an, an affirmation. But we can find ourselves opening our lives to these things that God does, never desired or designed to have in our lives. Just like when Jesus entered the temple and he was looking around and he goes, what is going on here? This is supposed to be a, a place of prayer. And on Monday, Mark tells us, Jesus came to Jerusalem and cleansed the temple. He drove out the buyers and sellers and overturned tables and chairs, and then he went out of the city. I mean, you got to love this scene. I mean, I just imagine Jesus goes in, he's looking around, he's like, no, no, this is not happening. He's just like, there's that, and there's that, and you get out of here, and, and he just, you know, he kind of starts going, going rogue, and it's great. But this is one of those times when we see Jesus saying, no, that's enough. That's enough. Scripture literally says He drives them out. And it's easy to allow the wrong things into our lives. It it only takes a small compromise. It It only takes saying yes to something that compromises God's desire for our lives and it opens a door. And as soon as we allow that compromise, we find ourselves face to face with the need to succeed or make money or 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 just absolutely locked down by addictive behaviors. We begin avoiding relationships 
And it all leads us to the most harmful place we can ever be, isolated, alone. So when we start to take stock of what's existing, what's present in the temples, the temple of our heart, what needs to be driven out of the temple of your life? What needs turning over or disrupting or cleansing? What needs to be put back in order for that matter? What do you need to let go of this week? What do you need to surrender to God and say, God, I need you to take this. I need you to deliver me from this. I need you to restore me to a place where I'm fully devoted to you. What in your life needs to be cleansed, restored, or renewed? Because it doesn't just happen. We have to allow God's authority to be at work in our lives. It's up to us to allow the Spirit of God to begin to do the inside work of cleansing our hearts and purifying our minds. Perhaps we find ourselves in a place of of desperation like King David as he is confronted by the prophet Nathan following his failure with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51.10 he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Perhaps that's your prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Because I've been chasing the wrong things. I've allowed the wrong things into my life. The temple courts of my heart are are chocked full of stuff that shouldn't be there. Create in me a clean heart. Timothy Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. See, when everything in our life is relatively stable, we can easily forget our dependence on Christ. Because it's easy. Stuff's going pretty well. Life's good. But we have to take time to remember through prayer how our life is impacted by Christ's love and presence. We have to notice the things that God is doing in the midst of a moment. We have to allow ourselves to be invited into God's plan and purpose knowing that He has great things in store for us. The question becomes, what would it look like to reclaim yourself as a sacred and holy place for the presence of God? Because that's what the temple was. It was a sacred and holy place where the presence of God rested. How might you make your life and heart a temple of prayer? How do you... How do you Allow the Spirit of God to once again rest in your heart. Be present in your life. It's through prayer. It's through surrender. So we can understand that when Jesus showed up, the temple wasn't open for Him to be received. It it needed to be cleared and cleansed. And then the third time that Jesus shows up, the temple is, is, is where faith was built. Have you, ever, have you ever figured out that, that faith is only faith when it's tested? Belief is only belief when it's challenged? I mean, is that, it's pretty plain, plain for us to see. But if we're not careful in our daily lives, we can easily fall into the trap of just simply existing, going through life and just making it through and not really reflecting the love or service of Jesus, whom we claim to follow. So, 
are the attitudes and postures and rhythms, rhythms of Jesus existent in our lives? Because the third time we see Jesus and his disciples enter the city, they're walking in the temple courts when they're confronted by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It's interesting, Mark chapter 11, verse 27 says they, ar- they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? In their minds, he's a wonderful teacher, but he doesn't have the authority to heal in the name of God. He doesn't have the authority to heal on the Sabbath and, and brush the law aside. He doesn't have the authority to say, I'm the Son of God. And they're saying, by whose authority do you do this? Interestingly, when the power and presence of God is at work in our lives, people notice. Have you ever, have you, have you ever seen that to be true? When God shows up and does something miraculous in your life, it gets people's attention. They're like, wait, wait a second here. That wasn't supposed to happen. And on Tuesday, Jesus again came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the religious leaders asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? See, when God shows up in your life and circumstances, it has a tendency to get the attention of the people around you. When God gives peace in the midst of uncertain situations, when he, we walk in faith in the, in the face of sickness or a terminal disease, when we choose to tithe, when the bank account says there's no money in the account or not enough. It's interesting, following this confrontation with the religious leaders of the day, Jesus goes on for the next chapter of Mark. If you, watch, if you read this Gospel, For the next chapter, he's tested by these guys. Questioned, tested, questioned, tested. And he finally leaves the temple and goes to the Mount of Olives. We see it in Mark Mark 13. But the root of the questions from the religious leaders centers on one thing. By whose authority are you doing these things? That's what they want to know. Whose authority are you performing miracles, forgiving sins, claiming to be the Son of God? Because you can't do that. You're not God. But the same question rings true for our lives. Who has the authority over the temple of your heart? By whose authority are you living your life? Who or what is the authority in your life? Is is your job your authority? Is your family your authority? Are your kids your authority? Are your finances your authority? Because we tend to place all those things on the altar of our life and we allow them to dictate everything that we do. Our priorities, our plans, our schedules, everything. Who or what is the authority in your life? And how are you using that authority? Where is it taking you? Is it taking you towards God's plan or away from it? How, how has it become a distraction from what God is desiring to do in your life? How does it affect others? Is your life one that, that brings hope and strength and peace and love and care and service to other people? Or is it all dedicated on the authority of your heart? 
Is it enriching or impoverishing your life and the lives of others? See, we all have authority in our lives and we all author something in our lives. Our lives are a story. So what are you authoring? What is the story of your life saying? And is that the story you want to be telling and living? The story of our lives was thrown up on the screen for everybody to watch. Is that the story that we want people to see? Is that the story that would encourage people? See, Jesus gave us the common assignment of going into the world and making disciples. That was the mission we were given. But he did so with a promise. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Only someone with all power and all authority can make that kind of a claim. The disciples would face trials and struggles of all kinds as they spread the gospel, but Jesus assured, him, assured them that he would be there with them. There's a funny story about a grandfather who decided to visit his grandson one day and found himself getting in, into trouble with the child's mother. Each time the baby cried, the granddad would go into the room and take the child out of his crib. And mom kept insisting, Dad, leave him in the crib. And after this happened a couple times, the mom noticed how quiet the house had become. The baby was quiet. And she went into the baby's room and to her surprise, she found her father cramped into the crib holding his sleeping grandson. Dad, what are you doing? She asked. The father smiled and said, Hey, you told me not to take him out. You never said anything about me getting in with him. Aren't you glad Jesus never leaves us alone, but instead promises to get into this life with us? See, Jesus came so that he would understand, so that he could relate to who we are and what we go through and all the stuff that we face in life. And the truth is, the story of your life and faith is on full display every day, whether you like it or not question becomes, who is the author of that story? And is the plot of your life pointing people to your faith and yourself or your faith in God? Because there's no in-between. We either have faith and trust in God or we have faith and trust in ourselves. So who is the story of our life pointing to? The final time we see Jesus enter the city, he doesn't go to visit the temple. He goes to spend time in relationship with his followers. But for us, as we look at the temple of our heart, the temple is where real relationship exists. That's where we engage and interact with God. It's, it's where we encourage and bless one another. See, God's greatest gift to His creation was an invitation to meaningful relationship. Relationship with Him and relationship within the context of the community of faith. He affectionately refers to as His church. He invites us into relationship. And one of the final times we see Jesus entered Jerusalem prior to his betrayal and subsequent death and resurrection was to share the Passover meal with his disciples. 
we, we refer to it as the Last Supper. Mark 14, verse 7, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, He said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray Me, one who is eating with Me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to Him, Surely you don't mean Me. It is one of the twelve, He replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with Me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In the most vulnerable, difficult moments of Jesus' life and journey, he brought those closest to him together. And he broke bread and he ate and spent time. And I'm sure there, there was tense moments where he began to talk about who was going to betray. And I'm sure there was moments where they were reflecting on all the amazing things that had gone on. I'm sure there was jokes being told and there was wonderful fellowship being had. But Jesus was facing an an impossible situation. And in that moment, He brought together those He loved. He's nearing His ultimate and impossible purpose for coming to this earth. And He desires to spend time with his friends. See, the next time Jesus came to Jerusalem was on that Thursday evening to eat the Passover. He desires to spend time with his friends and Jesus' example of fellowship and relationship, even in the most desperate hours of his life, give us an incredible example of how we've been called to live. What does it look like when you face difficulty? When you face uncertainty. See, too often when the going gets tough, we turn inward. We isolate. We pull back from relationship. I just can't handle it right now. There's too much going on. Life's really, really hard right now, and I, I, don't, I just can't. If we see anything from Jesus' rhythm, He spent time in daily prayer and preparation so that in the most difficult moments of his life, he might have the ability to encourage and strengthen those with whom he had relationship, sharing the bread of his life. In his most most vulnerable moments, he encouraged, he blessed, he loved, he poured into. Yeah, you heard that right. When you're feeling the most vulnerable and depleted, God desires to be your strength and share His love through you. We don't just get a free pass because it's hard. When we allow the presence of God into the temple of our hearts, we'll be okay. We'll be able to, in our struggle, share hope. In our hard times, our difficult circumstances to love people. 
So with whom and in what ways are you sharing the bread of your life? Who are you sharing your struggles with? Who are you walking alongside of? And who's welcome at your table? And who's not? What are you giving and what are you holding back? What, where is intimacy and vulnerability in your life and what, is, what does that look like? And in what ways are you taking, blessing, breaking, and sharing your life with others? Do you know your life story is one of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody? The victories, the struggles, the, the ups, the downs, the sideways, and byways, your story has the power to break through in somebody's circumstance. When we truly allow the Spirit of God to take residence in the temple space of our hearts, we will always desire that God be using us to bless, encourage, strengthen, and ultimately point people to Him. You know, I wonder what God might be desiring to do in and through our lives this week as we open the temple of our hearts to His presence and His purpose. Who do you suppose the Spirit of God may be laying on your heart to show His love and kindness to this week? Perhaps as you progress through this week and start to take stock of what's going on in your heart and in your life, maybe this might be the week that God speaks to your heart and says, you haven't, have you called so-and-so? Have you reached out to your aunt? How's your grandfather doing? How are your parents doing? How's that friend from college that you haven't spoken to in a while and you know that the last time they were walking through an impossible situation? Perhaps the Spirit of God may even be working on their hearts so that when you do reach out, when you do invite them into meaningful interaction, their hearts will already be ready to respond. They'll already be open. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you ready to tell your story? Are you ready to share the hope that you found in Jesus? Because your story matters and your story has the power to reach the heart of those God brings across your path. Mark Batterson in his book, Going All In, says it really, really well, and we'll, we'll close with this quote. It says, Destiny is not a mystery. It's a decision. And you're only one decision away from a totally different life. Those defining decisions prove to be defining moments. You only make a few defining decisions in your life, but they will define your life. What risk do you need to take? What sacrifice do you need to make? You need to put Isaac on the altar like Abraham. You need to throw down your staff like Moses. You need to burn your plowing equipment like Elisha. You need to climb the cliff like Jonathan. You need to get out of the boat like Peter. There comes a moment when you throw caution to the wind. There comes a moment when you need to go all in.